name is Bruce Himes. Uh, I'm from Southern California. Grew up in Diamond Bar. Uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Diamond Bar at that time was literally on the edge of civilization, I think, <laughs> in Southern California. We didn't have a freeway coming through. Uh, currently, I'm the president of Western Waterworks, and uh, I've been in that position since uh, 2006 and uh, held various positions, uh, mainly controller and uh, chief financial officer, which probably being very kind to myself or they're being very kind to me to give me such a lofty title as chief financial officer because we were a pretty small company, but uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, my background is in finance, so uh, they made me the CFO. Well, when you own the company, you can call yourself whatever you want, right? That's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of family businesses where they don't even have a job title on there because everybody does a little of everything. So, well, yeah, especially in those days, it was uh, uh, my mindset has always been those titles are more for the outside world, exactly. if you will. So yeah. everybody wants to know what your title is and what you do. Uh, but in those early days, my early days, Western Rock's been around since 1945, but in, in my early days and time at Western Waterworks, let's just say we all did whatever it took. And sure. I, I'm even talking about if that means sweeping the floor, taking out the trash, that's what we did. And it didn't matter if you were the president of the company or it was your first day on the job. That's exactly right. And that's, uh, you wear many hats. I, I was uh, walking into Angel Stadium one day with Tim Mead, former VP of communications there. Yeah. And we were just having a, a casual conversation. And he shared with me that he goes, hey, I was standing right here a couple of nights ago with Artie Moreno. This is Tim talking. There was a beer bottle here that was sitting on the curb walking into the office. And he goes, Artie and I were walking in around nine o'clock and half the staff were probably already here. And that beer bottle was still there. And Artie just reached over, picked it up, walked over to the trash can, threw it in the trash, never said anything. It made an impact on me, though. You know, the owner of the team is having, first of all, why didn't somebody else pick it up? That was the first impact that Tim thought about. How could all the people who came in not stop and pick it up? But already picked it up, threw it in the trash, didn't say anything, just walked in and like, you know, it wasn't, you know, beneath him to, you know, hey, can somebody come get this? It's like, you know, if something needs to be done, you do it. So it doesn't really matter what the title is. Well, for the, for the audience, Bruce and I go back. Bruce and I have met, we met, gosh, early to mid 90s, I guess. Yeah, uh, we moved into Chino Hills in '93, and I think you were already there. So we it was were. probably probably not long. It's probably 1993. I was thinking about that today when we met. So we're we're 30 plus years into this friendship. Um, Bruce and I have a lot of things in common. Some of those will probably come up on this on this podcast. One of which is the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, we've yeah. we've traveled thanks to Bruce. We've traveled to Utah a couple times to see the Lakers in the playoffs against the Jazz. We even went to the NBA Finals in Boston one year. Wasn't a good year, wasn't a good game, but didn't turn out the way we wanted, but it was still one of the best trips of my life. Bruce has a degree in finance from BYU, as he mentioned, born and raised here in Southern California. Uh, first job out of college, I believe it was, was when you went to May Company, their May department stores, and, and ironically in St. Louis. Our From the Heart podcast is presented by the First Bank Center for Family-Owned Businesses, and First Bank is a St. Louis-based company. So uh, I had forgotten about that St. Louis tie that we yeah. have. Um, you did an executive management training program there. And I want to talk about that in a little bit and how maybe some of the things you learned back in the eighties in that program have carried over into your role. Now, I know Bruce is a, um, a lot of people talk a really good talk and a lot of people walk a pretty good walk. Bruce does. Actually, he doesn't talk much. He just walks the walk as you, as you'll learn here on this interview and this conversation, he's an avid reader. 
I would say half the books on my bookshelf are probably books that have been recommended by Bruce or he's read and said, you should read this. Western Waterworks was about a $5 million company when Bruce took over or went into the company, right? Back in the- Yeah, I, I, let's let's not say take over. Um, yeah. Because you... my, my great aunt and her husband, won't get into all the details, but let's say started the business in 1945, was just retiring in, in 95. My dad actually became the president of the company at, at that time when she retired. Um, so yeah, I'll be uncomfortable if, if <laughs> we make it too much about- uh, uh, our success or anything like that. I don't want to feign sure. humility either, but at the same time, uh, uh, it was a lot more than just Bruce Himes. Let's, sure. let's, let's be clear. Well, and I've, I've had the opportunity for those watching and listening. I've had the opportunity of getting to know a lot of Bruce's team members over the years, including our son worked there for a time. And so I, I know a lot about the culture at Western Waterworks. Um, I know that the quotes on the walls and the books that they read are not just quotes and books, but they are very much the, the culture. Something I didn't put in the notes for us to talk about, but I'd like to start with this, actually. Can you talk about the Grand Guarantee Club? Tell folks what that is. Each each year they host a conference, and I've met even some of my former and future podcast guests through Bruce, through this Grand Guarantee Club. Tell us about the, the idea behind that and what that means. I've talked to a lot of your customers about it. And I know what they think, at least some of them. Love yeah. to get your perspective on how that started and what it is. I'll try to be brief. I have to it's provide right. uh, some context. Um, and, you know, I know we'll go back and forth in time, so this isn't going to be chronological. But yeah, that's none of my conversations are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, early in the 2000s, um, really from 95 uh, to the early 2000s, I'm talking to about 2003 or four we really started to grow uh, quite a bit. I think this is important to, to mention and actually put in a plug as well. You know, we kind of plateau or we'll hit walls or, um, you know, the old Peter principle, you you go about as far as your natural talent, if you will, will we'll take you. And, and then if you're going to make that next leap or step, I don't even like the term leap because it sounds too uh, too big, but the next step, you need to start doing some things differently. And, and one of the things that uh, I did had a uh, friend, actually a, a fellow baker, uh, sorry, his name's Dan Yates. He's now the president of Endeavor Bank down in San Diego County. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, he was our banker at uh, First Business Bank, but he was a big advocate for a group called Vistage. And uh, he had been after me for a while to join and and I didn't because you know me well enough that I don't like to join anything. <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, eventually, uh, I did join Vistage, uh, probably one of the luckiest moves and best moves that I that I ever did. And uh, the very first, uh, for those who don't know Vistage, they, they refer to themselves as a peer advisory group, mm -hmm. uh, which is really... Um, an organization that has a, a number of groups that has a Vistage chair. Uh, each uh, group will have anywhere between 12 and 16 members. That may have changed now, but that's what it was at, at the time. It's uh, really a, a phenomenal experience. I've gotten other uh, business leaders and friends in it. Basically what it is, is you have a group, like I said, 12 to 16 members. Uh, they're all CEOs of their business. 
They're usually small to mid-sized businesses. And then you have a meeting once a month. And uh, one of the main things in that meeting is you have a guest speaker. And then you also, that's the first half of the meeting. And the second half is you actually work on issues with one another. And if you think about that, you have 12 to 16 of your peers in there who have a lot of experience. Um, Either someone in that group has gone through exactly what you've gone through or they're going to. Um, So it's just a great experience. But my very first meeting, the speaker was, uh, she referred to herself as Dr. Lisa. Her topic was a mafia, I know that sounds a bit ominous, but uh, mafia market offer. Hmm. Basically, what is your offer that your customers or clients can't refuse to accept? I love it. Now, not threatening to cut any horses' heads off or anything like that, because that's what I thought of. I thought of Godfather right away. There you go. But uh, uh, really took us on some deep work. Um, Like everybody else, um, you know, you go into a client or a new client, prospective client. Why should I do business with you? That's always the the question. Whether they ask it that way or not, that's always the question, right? Is why am I meeting with you? Why should I do business with you? And of course, everybody always says, well, our service is great. Even those who don't have good service, they say their yeah, service. You say is it right. anyway. Yeah. I've never met anyone who says our service sucks. Yeah, our service is real bad. We should do business. Yeah, yeah, with so, yeah anyway, but do you want to buy? We're, some we're stuff nice from people. Us? We're not going to answer yeah. your call, or you know, <laughs> you know, we're going to charge you more than everybody else. But you're really right. going to like us. So we were really went on work, thought about that. Um, I hearken back to uh, Domino's Pizza, which when I was a freshman in college, Domino's was coming out. And uh, they can't do that anymore, unfortunately, but they had 30 minutes or less or your pizza's free. Of course, being snot, no spoiled brat, uh, college kids, we would lock up the elevators so they couldn't get the pizza to us Then a half hour, you know, anything. anything A lot of free pizza. pizza. Um, Not not a good thing, particularly when we're at a religious school. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. That's awesome. I'll just say, but we were 18 year old kids. So, yeah. Um, Anyways. Um, so really thought about that, thought about FedEx, um, you know, guaranteed to get your 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 package or your letter the next day or it's free. And so really went to work of, you know, what type of offer could we have? Obviously, we're not doing pizza. We're not doing packages per se. So we actually went and spoke with our clients. And I think this is really, really important. Yeah. The interesting thing is if you go talk to your clients and if you ask the right questions, They'll tell you exactly how to sell to them. Yeah. I love it, that. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, uh, just sales 101, you know, the best way to sell is ask questions and listen. Yep. If you do that, you'll be surprised at what you learn. But it's so surprising how little you see that because we have vendors calling on us all the time. Obviously, we're in the sales business, too. And we don't do necessarily a great job at it either. But really, three things came up consistently. Uh, with our clients. And number one is they just want their order to be accurate. They want the order to be delivered on time. That's really critical since we're in the construction business. I mean, they got teams of people out there. They got equipment out there. Yeah. And this stuff is expensive. Yeah. And so if we're delaying. Waiting on, and waiting for product is yes, expensive. Yes. And if we deliver the wrong thing or right. it doesn't meet the specification, which is the wrong thing. If it doesn't get there on time, then they just got people and equipment standing around. Very, very expensive. More expensive. And our our materials are very expensive. So even with that in mind, the expense of just having that idle equipment and people is very expensive. And then the other thing 
this may sound really strange is when you bill me, just make sure it matches your quote. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that should Don't be, surprise me. That, yeah, that should be real easy, but it's yeah. it's very difficult in our business. Uh, these projects are are complex. Uh, there's lots of line items on on a bid. I mean, to be over 200 line items, it's not strange at all. Uh, these jobs are very long term. There can be pricing cost changes along the way. Uh, things can actually change on the job. It can get very confusing as as these jobs progress. And I'm sorry for the long answer. So no, I like it a lot. It's great. But we found these three things universally. And I mean, this is a long time ago, universally. And it still holds true. It's just amazing. Um, whenever our, our VP of sales or uh, salespeople will go to talk to a new client, even before we talk about the grand guarantee, guess what they're talking about? We just want our order to be accurate. Right. We just need our order to be on time. We just need the billing to be correct because anytime you mess up on any of those three things, it just destroys us. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we created a, a guarantee around those three things, accurate orders, accurate delivery times, and accurate billings. And if we have an infraction on any one of those things, uh, it would be a $1,000 credit. Um, to our client. And that was a big deal because at that time, our average order was about $1,800. You're giving away more than 50% if you have to. Yeah. Well, $1,800 and your average gross profit on that order at best was like 20%. So, I mean, you know, that's $360 and we're going to cough up a thousand dollars. So yeah, profit wise, it was almost three times what our average order was. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, started tracking that and it quite frankly kind of scared the hell out of us. I'll bet. I'll bet. We were amazed at uh, how many mistakes we were making, but through time and changing processes, re-engineering things, um, really bringing the whole organization in, you know, we kept getting that number down lower and lower until we felt gutsy enough to go out there and, and do it. And so part of that is we created a grand guarantee club. So it's not every customer on our list, but it's all of our key accounts that make up that grand guarantee club. Now today it's $2,000. You know, there is inflation. Yep. Um, Yeah. One, one year when we did the uh, 10th year anniversary for this, I think you were there. We actually made it $5,000. Wow. Um, If we would have done that another year, I think our organization would have killed me. You would have gone under, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, And that was one of the things that was unplanned. I just announced that at a conference. So don't ever put a mic in. People have gotten used to hearing you announce things at the podium. (laughs) I've, 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 I've seen the faces of your team. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I hope that answers that question. Yeah. I'm I'm curious as you're talking, I'm thinking, and I, I don't have the answer in my head, but did you observe, and if so, talk about that transition where you saw fear in the faces of your team to a pride in this because i know i know i saw some of it just from some of the folks that i know that have worked for you over the years family and non-family um where they went from oh crap are we going to be able to do this to just this pride of we're doing it and this is awesome and it's holding us to the fire and we love it did you did you see that transition and how did that go yeah gr- uh, great point it's both yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of pride, uh, particularly one of the things we do is we have postings at each warehouse location. And so they actually have right when you walk into the will call area, which is where all of our clients would, would walk in. I mean, there's a big sign up there 
prominently displayed that says how many days they've gone without a grand guarantee. Now, the higher that number is, I see a lot of pride. Mm -hmm. uh, the lower yeah. that number is, you see, uh, I wouldn't say fear, but disappointment sometimes sure. and, and frustration. It's like the safety numbers you see in warehouses. Uh, too, yeah. You know, three absolutely. days without an incident or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's both. And uh, we've been doing it long enough now that uh, um, I think for the most part, our people just understand that's, that's just the way it is. And that's the way we roll. And, yeah. and uh, those who don't like it, cause it happens. Yeah. Um, they usually leave and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's nothing wrong if they leave. It's just not a fit. Yeah. Because it is an extremely high accountability throughout our organization. I mean, it's a lot of pressure on our salespeople to make sure, first of all, they just get those quotes right, that they follow all the processes. Um, it's very, uh, uh, the, the potentiality for mistakes is extremely high. Uh, in yeah. our operations as they try to pull these materials. I'm trying to be uh, to uh, deliver these items on a project on time, particularly here in Southern California. You know, as we all know, we have a little bit of traffic around here. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's that's a lot of pressure too, but uh, pressure as long as it's the, the right kind and it's, it's doable, it's achievable, I think is a good thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and fear, I think, and, and this is just my belief, uh, we, we all have a healthy dose of fear. Anyone who says they're fearless is lying to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, excellent. Exactly. You're either fearless but, uh, or you're honest, right? Fear is, as, as long as it doesn't get to an anxiety level, I think is a very positive thing. I yeah. Mean, it can be a Napoleon, motivator. Napoleon the Great. I know there's a movie coming out soon. I can't wait to see it. it says, uh, Interest and fear are the two levers to to move people, and uh, um, I hate to say it, fear is a big one. It is <laughs> and, no, well, yeah, there's a, big one. a lot of books talk about that, and there's one uh, I think Adam Grant wrote a book, and he talks about that in the first chapter, talking about you know that we are driven by two or three motivators, and fear being one of them. Sometimes it's just the fear of not necessarily the fear of failure, or even the fear of repercussions for for making mistakes, but just our own internal fear of what if I didn't give enough today? What if I put my head on the pillow and I don't feel like I, I won today? I, I use a measurement when I go to bed every night, did I win or did I lose? Right. And a win is that I did the things that I set out to do. I was integrity. I was, I was honest with my, you know, with the people I work with, I gave my best effort that day. And if I lost one of those things fell short today. And so I have a fear, not a fear, but just a, you know, you and I've known each other a long time and and we haven't been in each other's day-to-day -day lives as much in the last few years as we used to be, but, um, you know, or your life just upgraded then. What was that? Oh, my life upgraded. I don't know about that. Maybe yours did. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think, I think we both just have some really awesome things going on. Um, a word that comes up, I, I, I don't do this all the time on a podcast and you and I didn't talk about this beforehand, but we did agree that we could go, you know, we could, we could, um, take different paths on this, on this conversation, a word that comes uh, we're, up. We're, we're talking now. So there's zero script. Yeah. The script is, I'm going to just throw it in the shredder here in a minute, yeah. but um, that's okay. I, I don't, I, I script to plan, but not to follow it. The word that comes up for me when I think of you a lot is the title of, is in the title of a book by an author, Tom Peters, that you and I both have read in search of excellence. And I think of excellence. I think of you and your life and your discipline. I think of discipline too, but I think discipline is is a, a means to excellence or maybe the other way around. I don't know, but um, I don't think you can have excellence without discipline. 
but I, I think of excellence. I think of what you strive for at Western Waterworks, what you strive for in your personal life. Uh, those that don't know Bruce, he's an avid workout aholic. You're only seeing him from the the top of the shoulders up right now, so you don't see you know the work that he puts into taking care of himself. But um, when you hear that word excellence, where does it take you mentally? Well, my my first thing, and and I'm sure at some point we'll talk about mentors, leaders, and things like that. Is when I hear the word excellence, two people uh, come to my mind: is uh, Lombardi and 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 uh, coach coaches, mm -hmm. Lombardi and and John Wooden, John Wooden. And, and they would both. I'll paraphrase a little bit: is uh, you know, perfection isn't attainable, but striving for it is. That would be Wooden, and uh, uh, Lombardi would be. Uh, if we strive for protection, we just may catch excellence. There you go. And, uh, I definitely don't feel excellent, by the way. Um, but I do love and think often of, of those words of because um, I am a bit of a perfectionist. And that's actually not a good thing because uh, we will never be perfect. Um, our organizations will never be perfect. Um, I, I was just telling someone the other day. Um, that I think was heaping a little too much praise hmm. uh, my way. And I said, you know what? All I got to do is walk around the organization for 15 minutes and I can see just exactly how bad I really am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you need to be humbled. Go talk to your team. <laughs> it, that, that's not hard in, in yeah. business. I, like I said, all you got to do is show up and, and you know, you'll get humbled pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, um, I do believe that, uh, that we can strive for perfection as long as we don't beat ourselves too much over it. And, you know, eventually through time, uh, we just may uh, achieve excellence. And, and excellence to me, I feel like every word deserves a, a definition. Mm -hmm. But uh, excellence isn't, this may be a little controversial. <laughs> excellence is not necessarily found in a well-rounded individual. Excellence is really about being sharp in a very few things. And, um, you know, you and I have a, a love for sports and um, that definitely um, comes out in sports. I just uh, watched an interview, a, a fellow associate sent me a, an interview on Tom Brady. Not that I call myself a Tom Brady fan because he played for the Patriots. And yeah, exactly. I'm a West we won't Coast. hold that against him. Yeah, yeah I'm a West Everybody Coast New, guy. Sorry, New Englanders out there, and there are a lot of people <laughs> yeah. who watch. Yeah, this. I'm a West Coast guy. Yeah, so we are Southern California guys through and through. But the the interview was just so powerful, and uh, I think Brady is just the the poster for that. Uh, you know, um, he's not a great athlete. Um, right. In his own words, he was not a, a prodigy. Um, he had so much doubt early, particularly in his high school, college, and even early pro years, um, doubted him. Um, <laughs> I even read one line on Brady one time. They said he was probably the worst athlete ever to go through the, the combine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite a phrase considering most call him the, the GOAT, right? Exactly. Greatest quarterback of all time. Um, so as great as he is, and with all of his accomplishments, um, no one's going to ask Tom Brady to play center, uh, definitely not to be a running back or or receiver, because uh, I believe I may even be faster than him, even at almost 60 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what he was really good at, he was excellent. at. Yeah. 
and and he stayed focused on those actually very few things um, that made him excellent. So yeah. uh, I'm just citing that that story as an example of excellence is really not about being well-rounded. Um, it's really just being about excellent and a few very specific things. Yeah, I think I saw, if it's the same interview, I think I saw it as well. And he talked about how when he was a backup, even in high school or in college at Michigan, you know, and, and certainly at his beginning years with the Patriots, he would maybe only get two reps every practice. Yeah. And he, he would just, you know, yeah. yeah. And he talked about, you know, just be excellent, be as perfect as I can be on those two. And then maybe next time I'll get four and then maybe I'll get 10. And then next thing you know, he's the greatest quarterback of all time because he, he wasn't focused on being a Super Bowl champion seven times and being the, no. the greatest quarterback of all times. So he was focused on making this play excellent. Yep. And as perfect as possible. And that's, you know, it is, it's that, uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, you just focus on this bite. So, so you okay. talked about sports. Yeah. We definitely both have a passion for sports. You, you grew up playing basketball and being a huge Laker fan as I am as well. I didn't play basketball. As you know, we've been on the basketball court enough times to know, you know, that I didn't grow up playing it. <laughs> I showed up on, I was the weekend warrior basketball player, which pissed off Bruce a lot. I'll never forget one time we're playing at the church and, I think it was the only time in my life that I got hot and we were on opposite teams. And I just remember how ticked you were <laughs> this big guy who has no business being on the same floor as me. And I was draining shots. It's the only time I've ever done it. And trust me, I brag about it all the time because it's the only day it ever happened. But uh, our, our late friend, Brett Barnard, he was on my team and he would pass the ball to me nonstop and I'd hit these shots and I could just see you just getting ticked. <laughs> Uh, anyway, sidetracked there. I just had as to, I, I say, to, every dog has his day. I had my day. That was well. That was more of a, about a ten minute. It wasn't even a day. So I think the next game, I probably threw up fifteen bricks. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a huge question that could go any direction. But your your passion for sports. Let's go back to your sports as an athlete before sports as a fan. What is your athletic background? And I know you didn't go on and play D1 basketball, although no. you probably could have, and you didn't go to a high level in sports, but you, 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 you know, potentially could have, but what did your passion for playing sports teach you about life and leadership that's carried over to you today? Yeah. Uh, great question. And it's actually been, um, you know, we all kind of have these scripts, right. That yeah. make us who we are. So, um, I grew up in just, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, an obsessed family around mm -hmm. sports. Yeah. Um, I'm not making this up. I was the least athlete in the family. And I, I got an uh, older brother and sister, and they were phenomenal athletes. Um, my brother got a, a full scholarship as a quarterback um, to Stanford. That was many years ago. And uh, when he was finished with high school, uh, he was number two on the all-time passing list. The person ahead of him was a guy by the name of Pat Hayden, if you Oh, were, wow. There you go. Him. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and uh, I used to tell people our religion at the time was, was sports and particularly football because NFL Sunday, that's what we did is we, we sat around and, and, and watched it. But um, yeah, as a youth, um, I did definitely did not achieve the success in sports as uh, my brother and sister. Unfortunately for my sister, she was born way too early uh, yeah. because if she would have been born in today's times, I mean, she she yeah. was phenomenal. Um, but anyways, uh, very sports uh, centered. 
Um, and even to this day, I just love sports. The idea of, you know, you got to have a game plan, you got to practice, you got to prepare, you even have to be spontaneous. And so all those things, and I already referenced John Wooden and, and Vince Lombardi, um, our legendary coaches. Um, I believe all those principles to be successful in sports apply also to business. In fact, it's actually kind of a frustration with me is um, most people in business seem to follow sports as well. Yep. Um, Monday morning, everybody talks about the game, what went right, what went wrong. And somewhat disappointing to me is, is we all understand what makes athletes great, but how come we don't apply that even in, a, in our own professional lives? You know, why don't we practice? Why don't we get mentors or coaches? You know, why don't we prepare more? Why do we just show up mm -hmm. to a job? I mean, there's so many lessons in sports that translate anything that you want to perform at a very high level. All we got to do is look to sports and it's any sport. doesn't matter what the sport is, mm -hmm. any sport, find out what high performers do and then go and do likewise. And uh, we may not become legends, um, still may not make the money of some of these athletes, but, uh, that gap can get narrow. How's yeah, that? Absolutely. And, uh, and, uh, we can become high performing athletes, if you will, even in, in a, in a weird world and environment such as business. And, uh, um, so I hope that ans answers that question a little bit. I can keep going on and on. Oh, no, it, it I appreciate it... you calling me an athlete, but trust me, I do not. Well, see no, I've, I've been, I've, I've watched you play a lot of basketball, usually from underneath you. And you know, there's a lot of, if, if posters were a thing when we played, there'd be a lot of Bruce Himes posters was that heart looking up at you. You posterized <laughs> me a time or two the other day. And I didn't see this, but a friend of mine told me about a tweet by Max Homa, the professional golfer. Yeah. Uh, Max is, you know, one of these guys that over the last few years has really made a name for himself on the PGA tour. And he says, I woke up, I got, I got home from the Ryder cup, which was played over in Europe. Um, I got home and I woke up at 4am and I thought, man, this is when Kobe Bryant used to wake up and go start practicing. And I thought about Kobe for a while. And then I spent the next two hours scrolling through social media. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious that he, he made that observation about himself, you know, the work yeah. ethic, and the excellence and the, and the attributes and habits that Kobe had. And uh, Max woke up at the same time and then spent two hours on social media instead of going to the gym and working out and getting ready. Yeah, but, you just negated that, man, Chief. I hate to say, break it to you. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. Yeah, we, and, and, and it brings up the point that I think we all, most of us know what needs to be done. Yeah. matter of having the discipline and the motivation and the, and the, you know, ability to get up and actually go do it. You know, they talk about the overnight success you know, their overnight success because they were working while you were sleeping. You know, they spent overnight working. There is no such thing. I, yeah. I, I, I believe that's, there's many things, but uh, that's probably one of the most pernicious beliefs out there yeah. that anyone becomes an overnight success. It may appear mm -hmm. that because we haven't yeah. known their whole life. Yeah. We don't follow They weren't on the headlines life. until this morning because they became right. a success last night. But, we need to work. No one is an overnight success, particularly one who sustains success. Yeah. Um, there no, are one hit wonders, but there's not. Yeah. yeah. But, but no one is an, an overnight success. Yeah. And, you, and okay. I, I'm sorry, I, I got to just yeah. elaborate on that a little bit because uh, it's a hot button with me. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, and 
because of that, I think people don't even try because we have kind of this philosophy sometimes. And I hear it all the time. I hear it in sales. I hear it in leadership. Either you got it or you don't. And I just adamantly disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just totally disagree with that. Yeah. We can all be better at anything as long as we're willing to dedicate ourselves. Guess what? Just like those other high performers. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you. Yeah. Great leaders, born or made? Oh, I uh, definitely believe uh, leaders are built, not born. Okay. Give me an example of someone that you've watched be built from maybe someone, you don't have to name a name or if it's somebody famous or somebody in your life that you've seen go from, don't know if they can do it to, wow, Tom Brady, we just talked about. That's an example that most of us know about, but are there others in your life in a business sense that you think about? Um, no, I'm going to okay. talk about my favorite. Um, John Wooden. Yeah. Um, even though I'm more of an SC fan than I am a UCLA fan. We're the same. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I love John Wooden. Uh, when I was young, junior high, first two years of, of high school, I got the opportunity to go to a John Wooden camp, uh, four years in a row. And, uh, this is what I love about John Wooden is, um, I don't know if anybody when he was young would have picked him out of a lineup and said, now there's a natural born leader. Right. Um, I think he's a very reluctant leader. And um, what a lot of people don't understand, we all know he won 10, 10 championships, 10, 10 championships within mm-hmm. a 12 year period, which is unbelievable. Mind boggling. Right. And um but what a lot of people don't understand is he started at UCLA in 1948 and he didn't win his first championship until 64. So it took him, what is that? 16. Wasn't an overnight success. Yeah. Six. Yeah. yeah, 16 years, not an overnight success. Uh, One of my favorite lines of wooden is asked, um, how come it took him 16 years to win his first championship? (laughs) Well, I'm a slow learner, but I think once I, I learned it. I did fairly well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, about the most figure out how to win, I won. Yeah, that, that may be the most arrogant thing you may ever hear out of, yeah, out of John like Wooden. That. So, um, yeah, you know, he wasn't speeches. Uh, he wasn't necessarily uh, a charismatic individual, if you will. Um, boy, he was the ultimate in discipline. Pay attention to details. Uh, my favorite line is, you know, we always say devil is in uh, the devil is in the details. His was success, not the devil is in the details. Mm. And the level of details that he paid attention to and would refine his coaching year after year after year, even to his very last uh, season in, in 1975 is uh, uh, just amazing. So my, th- my, my point being is, and even he himself will tell you, leaders are not born, they're made. Yeah. And, um, and he's a great example of that. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying certain people may not have Tendencies. certain characteristics or sure. treats or traits that uh, yeah. uh, men may lend themselves to, to leadership. But again, if you're going to be a successful leader and sustain it for a period of time, no, you're going to you're going to have to work and you're going to have to build yourself into a more complete leader, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Why do you think, Bruce, that companies, let's just stay on companies for a second. Why do you think companies fail? I mean, I know there's a lot of reasons why, and there's there's f- factors out. Let's 
forget economy, forget recessions, pandemics, forget about things that, you know, happen to a company. Bruce's company, I got to, I'm going to brag about my friend here for just a moment, if I haven't already, and I will again. Very few companies that I've seen have grown through a recession, have grown through the 9-11 crisis, have grown through a pandemic. And it's easy to grow if you're just going out and buying companies. It's not even easy to do that. But Western Waterworks under your leadership has grown through all of those areas. I've always been amazed when I've seen that, you know, the recession, which knocked out a lot of your competitors and a lot of people in the construction industry and a lot of people across the world, Western Waterworks grew in all of those areas and others that I'm not even thinking about. So before we go into your successes and how you grew, why do you think a lot of companies didn't or don't have success either in times of trial or just in, in day-to-day stuff? Yeah. So um, we have a leadership model at Western Waterworks. So sorry, I'm, I'm going to pull from that a little bit. But one of the things we always say is that and it actually doesn't come from me. It comes from Mark Sanborn. I know you know who Mark Sanborn is, mm-hmm. but leadership just doesn't make the difference. Leadership is the difference. Yeah. So number one is why do businesses fail? It's usually a leadership problem. Yeah. Um, in fact, most of the time now, some businesses fail or, or go out of business, whatever. Sometimes circumstances beyond their control. Sure. I mean, some things just change so quick they can't readjust or or whatever. Um, but yeah, so number one would be a lack of effective leadership, um, not paying attention. Um, a lot of successful businesses. I'm 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 thinking of one like Circuit City. Remember Circuit City? Yeah, vaguely, but no, I do. I had very it for a long time. very successful but they kind of stopped paying attention. And, and I think all the things, one of the things that we need to pay attention to, and you know, Joe Calloway too, my friend, Joe Calloway, yep. is success only told you what worked in the past. Yeah. And so um, sometimes, and I'm a pretty rigid person. You know me well enough to know I'm, I'm a pretty rigid person. I'm, I'm not going to comment. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely into <laughs> running that same play over and over again until yeah. until we get it right. You have that four play book. If you're a football coach, you're going to run right. that play four times until it's perfect. But nevertheless, you still have to have a well-oiled reverse gear and have the wisdom to know when, you know, maybe it's time to go um, in a different direction. Yeah. And, uh, and because if you don't, then you will become extinct. And, um, and, and one of my favorite books, we may get in the books later, but definitely is uh, Good to Great. And, uh, you know, one of the principles of, of Good to Great is what they refer to as a hedgehog concept, which are basically almost like things that just never change. Um, but uh, in putting together our mission statement, uh, we definitely follow the lead of Good to Great in that there are certain elements of our mission statement that are what we call the core, which they don't change, like our purpose and core values. That doesn't change. But there's other things like goals and strategy. Well, those, they don't need to change on the dime, but uh, they can be open for tweaking and something and, happens and adjustment or something like that to yeah. um, be current. I mean, technology changes, people change, yeah. society changes. And then we're, I mean, we're, uh, definitely these last uh, three years have probably been in uh, the most accelerated rate of change just of what's going on socially and 
technologically yeah. and and that's probably not going to slow down and everyone's talking about ai now yeah and if you're not getting into ai as a business leader you're probably making a big mistake yeah you're going to be doing something else pretty soon someday you will be doing something else yeah What's been the, if you could look at leadership, obviously, I love the, I love that quote that it's, it's not, you know, it, it is the thing. What do you attribute the growth? I mean, you, I, I talked to you briefly before COVID and then I talked to you, you know, I won't say briefly after, cause I don't know if there, if there ever will be an after COVID, I think we're all still sort of in it, you know, for whatever reasons or whatever your beliefs are there, but you grew, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I mean, you definitely grew from 2019 to 2023. You know, what are some of the factors? Because a lot of people watching and listening to this today didn't grow over the last four years and don't know how they could have. They look and think, you know, how could we have possibly grown through this? We're in the hospitality industry. We're in the restaurant industry. We depend on the construction industry or, or whatever it was. I mean, construction actually did see some pretty good growth because that's one thing people could still do is build things. What would you attribute your growth to over the last four years? Four years. Well, let's say, okay, let's say three, I guess. I mean, I'm thinking from 2019, which was now, you know, we're at the end of 2023. So four years ago. Yeah, uh, we have. We've had uh, it, as much as we've grown, and we've grown a lot really from 95 uh, to current. Our, our average combined annual growth rate. Uh, from 95 to current has been about 14%, which may not sound like much, but uh, you there was the dot-com bust in there. There was um, obviously 9-11, um, the Great Recession, which uh, mm. was definitely the most trying time. Um, and then uh, with COVID and everything that came with that, in the last three years is is what you're asking. Yeah. We actually had the most growth, not just in dollar terms, but also percentage terms in the last three years, which is incredible because we've had a lot of growth uh, since uh, 95. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that, I want to backtrack a little bit how we look at growth at yeah. Western Waterworks. It's not so much the numbers, but as long as we're outperforming the market, there That's you go. Important. Yeah. So um, our whole industry, quite frankly, grew a lot over the last uh, three years. Um, odd thing with all the supply chain crisis and with the stimulus, both on a fiscal level and monetary level, um, really juiced up uh, our industry, uh, again, the construction industry. And we all grew. Um and I mean a lot, mm -hmm. like in the 30% range. Yeah. Um, we were more in the 40 and 50% range. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but even with that combined annual growth rate since 1995, being at about 14% per year, I would say on average, our industry grew more like three to 5%. And many years down, quite frankly. So... Our, our measure, and I'm starting kind of changing my answer a little bit to, to your question, is um, whatever our growth is, and even at times when we go down, as long as we go down less than the market, yeah. as long as we go up more than the market, we consider that. We're you don't have to have your best season ever, but as long as you're better than all the other teams, you're going to be the champions at the end. That's it. And yeah. again, John Wooden, I'm probably going to refer to him a lot, is... Uh, 
he never mentioned the word win and losing uh, to his team. Um, the only thing he would say after a game, which he said a lot, is we outscored our opponent. There you go. Yeah. I and, like that. and so uh, hopefully we adopt that same mindset as well as we just want to outscore the market. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, last three years, real quickly, you know, just a lot of the growth just came from um, stimulus, both on a fiscal and monetary level, but uh, also to to outperform. Um, the market also means that you've got to be doing certain things better than others. Yeah. And um, I think we do a better job of talent acquisition. We have a very rigorous talent acquisition process. Um, we have a, a, it's a bit different, but we have a training process. Uh, my number one objective is to obtain, train, and retain the right people. Um, I think one of the things effective leaders should do is always be trying to build uh, more leaders in quality and quantity every single day. Um, if you can't see it behind me, but that circle thing on the wall there in the center, real growth at Western Waterworks is doing that, developing uh, more leaders in quality and quantity every day. And that's how, how we grow. Um, you mentioned not at this point, but in some of our communication about sustainability and scalability, yeah, those words are household names to us. Uh, we look at everything we do. Is it sustainable? Isn't it scalable? And quite frankly, if it's not sustainable or scalable, not too interested. Not in doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, many years ago, there was a picture of me. We were at In and Out, and I love In and Out Burger, as you know. Yep. Not just as a guest or a customer, but, but I love In and Out Burger because I just think their their business model is phenomenal. Yeah. It's basic, but they stay to the basics. And so I was eating there one time and I had an in and out hat on and I, <laughs> I, I sent it out to our leadership team. I said, you can't get a chili cheese dog at in and out burger. And that's that. why they're great. Yep, exactly. No, I know, as you know, I know Lindsay Snyder very well. She's been on the podcast. We are, you know, I would, I would like to think that we're close friends. We communicate regularly and um, the conversation comes up a lot when she put this book out that's coming out later this month on their 75th anniversary and they're doing their celebration out in Pomona in a couple of weeks that we'll be attending. Um, they get asked, you know, can you do vegetarian burgers? Are you going to do chicken sandwiches, fish sandwiches? And it's just, it's not even on the table for discussion. Right. Are you going to sell the business? It's not on the table. Are right. you going to franchise? It's not on the table. We know right. who we are. We know where we've been. And she says, I, I don't own in and out. I'm the steward, you know, and we'll pass this along. It's not mine to sell. Is basically her philosophy. It's not mine to change. And I love and that. And that started right about when you did. What's yeah. that? And that's how I feel about Western Waterworks. Yeah, exactly. So a, a famous athlete video quote that you and I love, and we've quoted many times, Alan Iverson, I'm talking about practice. Yes. You and I have talked about practice a lot over the years. And in preparation for this interview, we've talked about it again prior to today. What is that? I mean, other than the humor of Iverson's quote, but you know, I, I love it. And we could spend the next hour talking. And this is going to be one of those podcasts that I'm probably going to publish in two parts because I don't see us stopping anytime soon unless you need to. But because uh, we have a lot we can always, Bruce and I get together and talk, forget it. Our wives go to the other room and we just keep talking and laughing about well, they're smart leadership to, do that. to sports and are yeah, probably true. Um, let's talk about practice. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, it's hard to say that without laughing, but. I'm hearing you talk practice when you're talking about habits and scalability and sustainability. Yep. Talk about practice in a business sense. 
Yeah. Uh, so great book. Um, would recommend to everybody. It's called Peak um, by a guy by the name of Anders Ericsson. Um, took a very uh, scientific approach to practice. Um, and I love books that uh, take as much as possible. Sometimes it's not possible, but as much as possible takes somewhat of a scientific approach. Um, I think too many, particularly business books and self-help books or whatever kind of tend to focus maybe too much on fads or cliches and, yeah. and things like that. So I like Theories. the science. Yeah. So, um, Anders Ericsson, really his, his professional mission in life was to figure out what made for expert performance. And he talks about four elements of what he calls deliberate practice. And the number one thing is um, at some point there has to be some instruction, whether that's a video, a book, a mentor, a coach, or whatever. And the whole idea behind um, this instruction is to give us a mental representation of what high performance looks like. Again, this is why I love sports, because it's so easy to look at deliberate practice in the world of sports. Yeah. Um, you know, and I love basketball. You practice a free throw and a coach demonstrates what that looks like. We all get to see hopefully the ball go through the hoop. We get that feedback, um, which is really um, one of the elements too. So you get a mental representation of what you're striving for. You know what the expert performance looks like. Then you go and you actually try the activity. This is where the fun begins. <laughs> and um, and you kind of, you're clumsy through it. You feel awkward and everything like that. Now, if you just stop, then you don't get better at it. Right. Um, but like anything else, and initially we improve very quickly, quite frankly, any, all, all of us do. Any, any Anything new, we start to practice or learn or whatever. We We're actually like learn this, very quickly. Plateau. Yes. Yeah. And, but problem is most of, most of us become hackers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just, yeah. um, we're here. I'm, oh, I'm the first, good at the first, I'll tell you the first time I broke a hundred in golf, I shot an 88 and I was in the eighties for the next five years and yeah. couldn't breaks, couldn't break 80. And then I broke 80 and then I was able to do that. And then, you know, I, I, I now I'm back eighties and nineties again, but I mean, I, I rapid growth and then I just stayed 82 to 88 pretty much every time I played for years. Right. So yeah, we become hackers and we just kind of hack along and, you know, sometimes, and you know, this and Tiger Woods is the poster child for this one is sometimes he'll make himself really bad so he can get really good again. Yeah. You know, totally deconstruct his, his swing or whatever. And we're looking at it going, well, what the heck is wrong with that swing? Man? That's pretty yeah. damn good to me. Yeah. But see, that's what the best do. And one of my mentors, Tom House, will say, the best will work incredibly hard just to get 1% better. Yeah. And it's true. Kobe Bryant did it. Yep. Michael Jordan did it. Tom Brady did it. And Wing Nolan Ryan did it. Yep. You know, and they will work extremely hard just to get really good. So you get a mental representation, you go at the activity highly intentional, you want to get better at it, and you have to pay attention. And that's number two, is the, being intentional about it. And the third thing is, is you need feedback, because without feedback, you can't get better at anything. Right. 
which is the biggest challenge, I think, in the business environment is just getting that feedback. I mean, for example, you go make a sales call. If you don't have a coach there or anything like that, what, what, what's your feedback? And yeah. so you're going to have to either ask for it or you're going to have to have kind of a, a pre-call plan that you went in with. And then when you're done, you got to look at that plan. Okay, did I achieve this? And could I have been better here? Maybe I should have listened more. Oh, shoot, I forgot to ask this question. You know what I mean? You're, de you're developing your own feedback. And it's just like, as I talked about with basketball, if you're shooting that free throw, I mean, either you were short, you were long, you were off to one side or the other, and you make an adjustment. And you keep making those adjustments and you do it over and over again, which is the last principle of repetition. Mm -hmm. And we've all heard the phrase repetition is the mother of skill. So the difficulty is, is in a business environment, and I like to think we do this at Western Waterworks, is we try to come up with these elements of deliberate practice. Now, I don't know if our people are walking around thinking, oh, yeah, we got all these elements of deliberate practice, but in our coaching with sales calls, uh, we have what we call a steps path, get people along, all these things, of these elements of deliberate practice, instruction, um, being intentional, giving and, and receiving feedback and doing it over and over again is how people can improve and get better. In fact, it's the only way yeah. that we will get truly better at something yeah. and eventually get to whatever we think our potential is. Um, and our potential is much greater than we think it is. And yeah. I'm not trying to be inspirational, but it's just much greater than what we think it is. Oh, Unless we just want to let things happen naturally. Then yeah. you'll hit the Peter principle. Well, you and I have been skeet shooting before with our old dear friend, Mike Sorensen. And, yeah, right. and we were not very good. No, we were not very good. Because we've I never done it. it. <laughs> but the every, every, every time I've been, and maybe four times in my life, my first, I would say three of the first five shots I hit. And then I sucked the rest of the day. So, because I'm not doing anything to get better. I mean, literally, you know, blind squirrel can find an acorn every now and then. Right. And that's exactly what was happening with me. But, you know, if I wanted to get good at that, I would have to practice. I would have to watch somebody. I'd have to learn the technique. I'd have to go through it over and over again. I'd have to do the repetition. I'd have to do the work. And, you know, being an expert skeet shooter isn't a priority for me. Therefore, I don't right. do the work. Right. And that's the other thing I think that isn't mentioned there, but it's implied is it needs to be a priority. Is success something you want in this area? You don't play golf and you've told me over the years, and that's because you don't have the desire to go through the process to get to the level. And I'm paraphrasing you, but this is what I tell others about why Bruce Himes doesn't play golf. You don't have the desire to get good enough at the game to play it at the level that you'd like to play it at. You don't want to go out and hack because that's not who you are, number one. And there's other things you want to do with five hours of your time. If you have five hours, you're on your Harley. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And part of being successful and it doesn't matter what it is. And, and I do believe, you know, definition of success is very personal to every person because I, I, I am very uncomfortable anytime it talks about, you know, money or, or status or, or anything like that. Cause yeah. to me, that's not, that's right. not success. Um, it can be, but it doesn't have to. Yeah. No, I mean, if that's some people, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. But, if that's what you're yeah. striving for and right. things like that, and you're achieving those things, then yeah, you're being successful at yeah. that. Um, but whatever it is we decide to be successful at, um, 
and you make that choice, once you make that choice, then you're going to forsake a great deal of many things. Yeah. And um, there's, you know, many things out there. And quite frankly, I'm interested in playing golf, but I also know, I think enough that what it would take to get to a level that I'd be comfortable. In fact, I'd probably never be comfortable at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably, there's no probably here. I'd probably destroy a lot of clubs. <laughs> um, you, you see me enough on the basketball court, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm very short fuse type yeah. person with myself. So that's just something I've had to tell myself. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I and I and I probably should have. People tell me they don't play golf, and the first thing I say is, "You are a very smart person." <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, no. I'm addicted to the game. I don't play it as much as I should, or definitely, definitely don't play it as well as I'd like. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that you know you have interest in, um, but still say no to um, because um, it's probably going to detract. At least in my thinking, it's going to detract from what you really want yeah, and, and what you're really passionate about. Um, and, you know, watching that Tom Brady interview, uh, seeing uh, a person like Nolan Ryan up close and others and reading uh, Kobe's latest book called Mamba Mentality. Yeah. Um, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts of the world, and I'm not close to any of these, by the way, but you'll hear them all say, you're going to have to say no a lot. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting because I've got uh, several close friends. One in particular is a client, a close friend that's, um, you know, Jenny Dinan. She will listen to this. She listens to most of the podcasts and gives me good feedback, which is all not good, but gives me feedback that is good for me and for the show and for, and just for my own life. We challenge each other regularly. Now we serve on a couple of boards, nonprofit boards together as well we're continuously challenging one another to say no to more things because it's so easy to say yes to something as a people pleaser. Cause you know, that's part of who I am as you've known Ed Hart for 30 years, you know, that's a, 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 a cross I bear. Um, what do you, what new, a new thing comes your way for you to say yes. What, what does it have to entail? Ah, hmm. uh, yeah. So, um, you haven't asked me the real hard question yet, which is great. <laughs> Those questions you hope nobody asks, right? Yeah, well, I'm going to uh, get there. So you, you know me well enough. Um, um, no one accuses me of not being focused. Um, and I'm not sure that's always a positive thing. Um, so, you know, professionally, um, I have been singularly focused on, uh, you know, Western Waterworks since 1990. Uh, when I started there. Um, so really anything that goes in my life, if it's going to detract from that, quite frankly, it's a no, it's a no. Yeah. Even, even if it sounds interesting or appealing, um, it's just no. And, uh, if I have a strength and I do mean singular, a strength, and you mentioned already, it is my discipline. In fact, I had my mother-in-law fairly recently said, your discipline is disgusting. Um, I, I think she meant that in a positive way. Probably a compliment. Yeah, it's probably, I took it in a positive way, but yeah. uh, uh, yes, my, my discipline was disgusting. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, when you get really clear on, you know, what is it that that thing and those few things that really is, then you learn to say no to a lot of things and, 
And, uh, you know, it's always a challenge keeping track of your schedule. And, um, and that's really the number one thing is just keeping your schedule under your control. And that's, that's not easy to do because yeah. we are in a world constantly trying to pull us. And everything, uh, everything wants our attention. Everything does. Yes. Yeah. You drive yeah. on the freeway, you turn on the television, the radio, a podcast. There are so many things vying for our attention and it's easy to get distracted. Very easy. So I, you know, this is not going to appeal to everybody, but I know a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I refer to a lot of people as friends, but the reality is I have very few. I mean, very few what I'd consider to be close friends. You being one of those. Same but, with you. Uh, yeah. Uh, I have a lot it, of close friends, but there are these life friends like you that, you know, when all, that's why I, I put a LinkedIn post today promoting this podcast. And one of the things I put is I've been wanting my family business friends to meet you for 15 years because, <laughs> and, and not just because you're just this, you know, you're not going to go hang and have a two hour social lunch with all of us because that's not taking you closer. I'm to definitely it. not. <laughs> yeah. But, and, you know, but you are going to, you know, if if it's value to other people or it's value to Western, you know, I definitely, I know that there was a time and I was going to ask you about this in a little bit, but I'll do it now. Are you working with other companies or have you, I know there was a time when you were going to, cause you do, you, I know you don't give yourself credit for this, but I'll go ahead and do it again. The value that you bring to leaders and other companies, and they'll get some of that from this conversation. And I know you've done it in other forums as well. Are you toying with the idea maybe in retirement or maybe you're already doing it now where you're working with other organizations on developing their leadership? Yeah, not um, not so much organizations. I think the the thing that, that I do do uh, a little bit, a little bit, there's a, a handful of, uh, I can say this now because they're substantially younger than me, but uh, young people, uh, you know, I'm talking uh, 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, but 20s, 30s people that uh, you kind of sense that they have high potential. And um, I love meeting with those type of people and, and, and talking to them and um, basically passing on. I, I, I had honestly, I don't feel like I've done or created anything. All I've done is learn everything that's out there and, and, and bring it into hopefully my life and, but that's to me, that's why I'm to interrupt you real fast. One of the differences between you and a lot of people that we all know is there's a lot of people who learn and there's a lot of people who try to implement, but the, the, the few who learn and implement what they've learned to me, that's, that's huge. There's a lot of people trying a lot of things and they're doing it seat of their pants or I read a book, let's go try it. And next year I'm reading a new book about a different thing and let's try that and confusing the hell out of their teams and their people and their customers you know, one thing I know about your bankers and your customers and your employees is that they've never been confused by your direction. And that, I think that's a big deal in a leader, that you're consistent, that they know who Bruce Himes is. They know what you stand for. They know that, yeah, you're going to implement some things that you read, but it's going to be consistent with other things you've already shared. It's, you know, those new ideas come, obviously, you know, something new, some new great leadership book's going to come out that you're going to read that you've never thought about before. But people know that's coming too. And that's part of that consistency. So you're not a seat of the pants leader, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, um, no. Uh, <laughs> people tease me and say, well, Bruce even has to schedule spontaneity. So <laughs> I like that. I've probably said that about you. And that, that, that actually is true, by the way. I was shocked. 
most spontaneous thing I've ever done in my life was Bruce and I are watching game one of the NBA finals in probably what, 08 or 09 Lakers Celtics. You yeah, know that was exactly already. when it was. Yeah. I know you do. I knew that if I didn't know the details, you would. And uh, he calls me up, says, let's go to game two. It's like, well, game two is going to be in Boston. You mean game three? No, let's go to game two. This is like the day before. Next thing I know, Bruce and I are in Boston having dinner at McCormick and Schmick's in, in the city of Boston. And then the next day we're going to a Lakers Boston game. So that was, that was, you didn't schedule that spontaneous moment. So I'm glad I could throw some spontaneity your way or you threw it my way in that case. Yeah, Still one yeah. of the best trips ever, even though we lost. That, that was a blast. But, you know, the beauty of that trip, the long-lasting value of that trip was really getting into U.S. history being there in Boston. Remember, we had that day before the game. Yep. And uh, uh, we we uh, uh, got a, actually a limo with uh, mm-hmm. Tony. Yep. I think I had his name in my phone phone for a long time. I probably still do, yeah. And uh, we got in that thing, and we just said, you know what, you just drive us around to every every site, and we hop out, and it it was awesome. And it really led me down to uh, Paz. That's when I really got into Benjamin Franklin and reading his autobiography and studying his life, and, and even got me into George Washington and some other things, which has uh, really enhanced and my own understanding of, of leadership. Um, so yeah, that's what I remember that trip now. It's, uh, and, and it's a good thing. I don't remember the game because. Yeah. I don't, I remember we lost, but I don't remember the, and I remember having a real hard time getting back to our hotel because nobody would. We got killed up. in the arena and we almost got killed outside the arena. Remember that the police. Yeah. Here's a, here's a, a life wisdom from two guys turning 62 <laughs> months apart from each other next year. Never wear Lakers gear in the city of Boston especially the night of the finals, even though they beat us, they still treated us like we were public enemy. Number one. Yeah. I remember we even asked the the police, Hey, can you do something here? And they looked at us and they saw what we were running. Going, You're on your own, man. I can't help you brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I, we even had a, a cop with us and Rob, yes. which was kind of funny. All right. So you said, I haven't asked the difficult questions yet. And I, I think I, I don't know for sure what you consider the difficult question, but I do want to shift it for a minute because I don't want everybody walking away from this conversation. Wow, 14% growth since 95. It's all been great. 30% growth during COVID. Wow, this guy has just had nothing but success. Not true. Share challenges for a minute, personal, yeah. professional, whatever. Any challenge that comes up for you, what the challenge is is less important than what you learned and how you got through it. Yeah, so I'll go a little bit. Uh, I'll leave personal challenges on the side because uh, we all have those. Yeah, and and we just need to deal with them. Yeah. Uh, Business wise, um, when I came to Western Waterworks, it was 1990. Business started in 1945. Um, truthfully, uh, that business probably looked very similar to, <laughs> to what it was in 1945, even in 1990. So it was, uh, it was really a monumental challenge just to kind of shift the mindset and uh, business practices and processes, um, trying to get the right people in the organization. That was definitely a major challenge. Um, We had my aunt, which at the time she was 90% owner of Western Waterworks. Um. She retired in 95 at the young age of 89. Hmm. Um, so um, we had to exit her out. Um, so that's one of the things that Western Waters have actually been part of, if you will, three 
buyouts or sales within Western Waterworks, even though it was all internal. Number one was my Aunt Ethel between 93 and 95. Then in 2006, um, my Aunt Ethel passed away at 100 years old. Um, she still was 25% owner of the company. My dad was in the 40s and he was retiring. So then we had to figure out how to buy them both out. And then in 2015, we went 100% ESOP and now I'm selling my, hmm. my shares. I was the largest shareholder at that time. Um, so those are, are very challenging things because in each one of those instances, I felt like I was always negotiating against myself. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, particularly that between that 2006 and 2008 period, when you're buying out uh, an estate and, and then my father and its family and, and, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was uh, ugly. Mm -hmm. um, we were all the horror stories, which you know all too well in your work with family businesses. Yeah. And we experienced all those things, um, you know, divided up the family, um, suing one another, you know, I mean, it, 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 it was ugly. So, you know, all of those things are, are challenges. And of course, between 2006 and eight, we were just in that midst of the great recession. Right. And so here we're bringing on a bunch of debt when our business is starting to, to really tank. Uh, because again, we were in the uh, construction industry, which which was really almost at the epicenter of the whole absolutely you know, great recession. Uh, so those those things were were really tough, but uh, really the challenges those three trying to get um, the 1945 Western Waterworks into the 20th century, let alone the 21st century, was really difficult. Um, really challenging from a, a leadership perspective and uh, definitely hitting that humility wall of hmm. realizing you're not all that. And just because you have a great idea does not make people buy into it. So, you know, you're having to learning different tactics and skills of, of leadership. Um, you know, the, just the constant challenges, uh, particularly now, tougher than ever. Uh, I told you we spent a lot of time on talent acquisition. And if you're going to sustain and scale a business, you're definitely going to have, you know, but the, the common denominator growth is definitely people. Took me a while to, to figure that one out, but uh, um, that's definitely uh, number one on the list, which I says my top objective is to attain, train, and retain the right people. Um, so we're very intentional around that as well. Um, and it's just so many different things of, um, uh, one of the questions you told me was, you know, why do businesses fail? I mean, number one reason is most grow themselves out of business. And, yeah. and there were a few times we've almost done that, honestly. And, um, so, you know, everything, <laughs> you know, it's people, it's, um, changes in society, it's changes internally within the organization. It's, it's financial, it's, you know, shifts in the market, all of these things um, happen to anybody who's been in business long enough, they're going to encounter these things, and you're going to have to deal with these things, which is why an organization like Vistage is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, I want to a lot of we do a lot. Yeah, of I want to relate something to Vistage, because yeah. you made the comment about, you know, I read books and actually implement things. One of the reasons why I left Vistage is because if you're not careful, this is one of the biggest criticisms of Vistage. 
You go every month, you get a speaker. Of course, what does the CEO do? Goes right back to the organization and say, I got the greatest idea ever. Then the new idea comes and it's different. And then next month's the same thing. And, and they still trying to figure out idea number one. Well, yeah. after a year, you got 12 new objectives. And I'm sorry, that just will not work. Yeah, you're going to confuse people. And so we, we uh, I guess we're wise enough where we took a, a very slow approach and just implemented things one at a time until we got to a certain level of mastery. Then, okay, we'll do something else. And so after a while... I love Vistage, not because I didn't like Vistage. It's just like, you've given me a lifetime of work here. I, I, yeah. can't, I cannot take any more. My brain is full. Let me take Absolutely. what I've learned. Yeah. So I had all my notes. And, and so we, we continue to work on those things. And once we get to a place where we feel like, all right, we're kind of, I don't know if I want to say this, hitting on all cylinders a little bit, whatever. Okay, now it's time to implement one more thing yeah. that uh, can make us a little bit better. Yeah, we've done a lot of in my in my work with family businesses. I'm a huge advocate of the power of peer groups, like a Vistage site. In fact, the peer groups I've put together over the years, I've required that my facilitator has Vistage or YPO or some other organization like that experience because that's the pattern that I want to follow. And it's a little bit different. I mean, the timing and so forth, but the, the idea behind it is you're working with peers, people who are walking similar miles and similar shoes, not the exact miles and the exact shoes, but they get it. And uh, similar roles and similar sizes and so forth. So yeah, I'm a I'm a huge proponent. I've attended a lot of Vistage meetings over the years as well, and maybe a path for me down the road. What uh, what what needs to happen for Bruce to say I'm ready to hang up the spikes and and um, go ride my Harley more, or travel more, or grandparent more, and not go into the office every day or go? I'm doing air quotes. I know into the office might be like me. I'm in my house, but to retire. Yeah. What, uh, what needs to happen? Um, yeah. So my, my major, um, purpose right now, uh, at Western waterworks and has been for, for quite some time is, um, and I know you're definitely connected to family businesses. Succession is not something you work on in the last 12 months. No, absolutely. <laughs> it takes years. Yeah. Best yeah. time to plant a tree is yesterday. Second best is today, right? You should, right. if you're not doing succession, I tell everybody, when should I start now? Well, my kids won. Well, then you're a year late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That, and that's a great uh, uh, proverb, you know, uh, best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today and, yeah. and, and get it. Totally get it. So um, that's number one is uh, working on the succession plan and we're well into that. It's actually going very well, thankfully. It's also very expensive. Mm -hmm. Expensive because you may have to have duplication in roles Yep. Um, and, yeah. and things like that. So, but it's uh, going very well. So the trigger for me is, um, and I wanna be careful because this is making me a little uncomfortable is, um, but I've been kind of doing this my whole life is no matter what my role is, is that I have to work myself out of a job. Um, and I've had to do that a few times, a number of things. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And when it gets to a point where I'm no longer needed, and maybe that may be now, and, and I'm no depends longer on, depends on who you ask, right? Yeah, it yeah. depends on the time too, yeah. the day. 
no longer needed, um, no longer wanted. Um, if I feel that I'm actually getting in the way of maybe preventing us from getting to that next level or step, whatever that may be. Um, so with that being said, um, it's not a hard date, but uh, definitely yeah. by the end of 2027 or 28, um, that's when I plan on, yeah. on retiring now. You got that out there. Yeah, plans, plans, yeah plans can always change. But, sure. uh, and, and, I, and I announced that actually about three years ago to our organization. At that time, I, I said about a seven years would be when I would retire. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, we're, we're on track. But uh, yeah. I've well, people know they, you know, whatever they need from Bruce, they, they got a few more years to make sure they get not like you're going away, but you're not going to be in there each day. So, yeah, and I've done that a few times. I've had the opportunity in my role in family businesses to work with several families that are in that succession and that transition and, and intentionally have worked my way out of, you know, one family business in particular, dad called and was looking for some leadership training for his executive team. And what he was really saying is I need you to let me know if my son can take this over at some point or not. So for a few years, we worked together and eventually son took over, dad retired, company sold, and which was their objective. Okay. And um, they didn't need me anymore. And I've never been happier about losing a client than I was there because mission was accomplished. Yeah, they got to the goal line. One project. And that was, that made me feel, and I saw them just the other day and it's a, uh, I'm happy to report that they're both still very ecstatic with how that went. So working your way out of a job isn't a, isn't a bad thing. That's for sure. So you said I hadn't asked the difficult question yet. So just interview, just tell me what, tell me where I failed as an interviewer right now. What you, didn't you, I you ask? Didn't fail. You, you, you touched on it a little bit and uh, I thought you were going to ask me, so what are you going to do when you retire? And my answer is uh, it's not very inspiring. It's I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people I don't know because I don't, I don't, think about it and uh kind of my my glib answer but i tell people is i'm gonna have a lot of time to figure that out you're gonna have time to figure it out yeah you are. And, and, and i know myself well enough no i'm not just gonna sit around no um, but no. Uh, my my hope would be is uh and, and particularly with western water works there's you know a few young and emerging leaders i hope they'll still want me somewhat in their life and uh and, and others, because I do really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. um, not even from a, a money thing, but um, just being involved and um, being able to, uh, again, pass along all that I've been fortunate enough to accumulate from other mentors, my own study, my own experience, um, things like that, um, because I believe there's a lot to share. And I, mm -hmm. I mentioned it a lot, and I know you, you mentioned it a lot. And I think it's an area where um, particularly young professionals, they, they just don't utilize mentors enough. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that most successful people are very willing to share, you know, what it is that they've done or how they've done things to, to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. They are. I mean, and, and we yeah. see it all the time. I mean, Look at Kobe Bryant once he retired. I mean, man, he just, he became an open book and put it out there and worked yep. with everybody. Tom Brady, I saw an interview with him and he was just very different now that he's retired in this interview than when he was yeah. you know, the athlete and, well, we're going to have to look at game film and we're going to have to do this, you know, very tight sound bites, right? 
Yeah. But now he's very open and he's just willing to share. I remember one time with Michael Jordan, there was a story. It was actually told by Emmett Smith, the Hall of Fame running back. And he reached out to Michael Jordan because he wanted to talk to Michael Jordan about what's, you know, what's life like after, after, you know, Hall of Fame career, right? Yeah. And he met with Michael Jordan and he appreciated it. And he said to Michael, something to the effect like, well, why did, why did you meet with me? And Jordan's answer was very easy. Well, you called me. You asked. And he goes, yeah. well, how many people have done this? Michael said, not many. Yeah. Now that blows me away. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my point is still that successful people, good successful people are willing to share yeah. what they do. Because I believe they also understand that, hey, they, nobody, and Tom Brady said this in this interview that he had, it's about an hour and 45 minutes. I would recommend it to anybody. Is no one gets to where they get to on their own. I don't care who you think you are, what you are, what you accomplish, what it looks like you do as an individual. All successful people are surrounded by a support team. Yeah. And you're only going to be as good as that support team. You know, I know you've used this line, you know, you're, you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. And I know you use that a lot. Yeah. So um, young people in, in, in general, I, I just don't think they're encouraged enough and therefore probably don't seek out mentors earlier rather than later. And I think that's one thing I can't take credit for. I just think I was uh, incredibly fortunate in my life that I've had incredible mentors yeah. sometimes as a young person, I didn't even realize I was being mentored, but mm -hmm. the older I get, I look back and it's like, you know, those, there, there are certain voices that are in my head literally every day Yeah, by, by some of these key mentors. Yeah. I've never asked anyone to be a mentor and I've never been told by anybody that they're mentoring me, but I've got dozens and dozens of mentors that I can go back to. My most recent in the last six or seven years is Ken Blanchard. You know, we've yeah. developed a friendship. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. You don't. You, that, that's to, right there at the top. Hard to top that. All one. done. <laughs> he and I. Um, he was guest number one on the podcast. He we did it in his studio in San Diego. I've broken bread in his house a lot. We've we just we've be, developed this this friendship that is just there's nothing on the table, nothing off the table that we can't talk about. And um, this project that I want you to be involved in with me, he's already committed to be involved and. And uh, you've addressed it a little bit already, that message of what would you want the next generation to know from your experience? The first thing I'm hearing you say is tap into mentors, find people that you can sit down with, buy a cup of coffee, you know, have a conversation. People love the, the two things they love the most is their first name and their story. And they're willing to share, you know, hey, Bruce, tell me your story. It's why getting people on the podcast is actually, I'm not gonna say it's easy. But with, with technology now, it's been a lot easier than it was when I was doing these in studio. You know, you wouldn't have driven to Anaheim Hills to meet with me, but you'll get on a Zoom call. I'm not saying you, but most people wouldn't. Right. But um, yeah, tap into those those folks who have more experience. And, and wisdom doesn't necessarily come with, with the age, but certainly, you know, there are 22-year-olds who are much more wise than I am. And there are 80-year-olds that I'm more wise than. It's not about the years. It's about the experience in those years. What... um. 
we've gone way past, you know, you know, people will, will probably break this into two episodes because, you know, not many people listen to an hour and a half, but I think this one, they will. Um, and I hate this word I'm about to ask you, and I know you do too, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I don't know the synonym for it. What are you most proud of in your career? I'm not pleased with it. Okay. What are you most pleased with? There you go. Um, pleased isn't strong enough. Pride is not accurate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So look, I, I, I'm no different than anyone else. Every day, honestly, is a grind. You know, it just is. And uh, we've accomplished a lot, but day in, day out, it feels like we accomplished nothing, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what's pleasing is doing this interview uh, requires me to reflect a bit on that. And I know this is a bit cliche word, but the journey mm -hmm. right? and all the uh, trials, tribulations, failures, and, you know, wins, if you will, um, is just that what we've done, um, you know, you got to understand, you know, once we started 1945, by 1995, 50 years later, it was $5 million company. Right. Not a lot of growth in 50 years. Most right. companies wouldn't have weathered and, it. And even though looking back, you know, 50 to now 150 plus, um, almost got to, to 200. Um, you know, that's, that's like, wow. And, and especially in an industry that's mature, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely not a high growth industry. Um, it's a major challenge to, uh, build not only a business that's sustainable, sustainability in the waterworks business is not too difficult because you need our products. Yeah. And, Whether you know it or not. Of, yeah. yeah. I'm going to turn out of, a sink in a minute. And thanks to you, yeah. the water is going to come to me. Yeah. And they don't go out of style. Um, but a scalable business is another thing. And, and all of our growth and expansion has been organically. We have acquired nobody. Right. And that is incredibly difficult to do, uh, particularly in our industry, probably anywhere, but particularly in our industry. And uh, we've been able to do that. Um, being an ESOP and... Um, Every year I do this when we do our ESOP administration because everyone gets a statement. And, you know, we have about 30 millionaires in our company. Wow. In our ESOP statement. So, you know, that's very pleasing too yeah. uh, because um, that tells me that our purpose, I referred to that earlier, our mission statement was to demonstrate that shared capitalism works. Hmm. Um, I say so myself, I think it's a great message. It's awesome. Particularly in today, because there's this tension between socialism and capitalism, particularly in the last uh, decade or so. And uh, our answer is well, shared capitalism works. And um, so it's very pleasing to see those statements every year and to see people. Um, and in fact, most of our people, um, I'm pretty confident that their greatest asset is their ESOP, Western Waterworks ESOP shares more than their home or anything else that they got. So um, shared capitalism definitely works. <laughs> it's working in our business. So that, so it's just the progression of the company. It's seeing the fruits and really seeing it. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm Mr. Do Good or anything like that, but actually seeing it, the success in other people. Those are the things that really excite me and, and motivate me to keep grinding it out day after day. Yeah. 
Where do you, uh, two, two couple of last questions. We'll wrap up. What breaks your heart? Mm. Um, mentioned one a little bit earlier. Uh, what breaks my heart is anytime someone says either you got it or you don't, I hate that. You know, that, that's a, that's a, that, that's a thing that raises the hair on my neck. Yeah. Um, because I do not believe that at all. Um, no matter what it is now, look, I'm not saying every one of us can become professional athletes or, or, or the greatest business leader or anything like that, but wherever we are and whatever, and if we have passion for what we're doing, we can definitely become significantly better than what we already are. And we tend to think just because someone seems to do something really well, naturally or without practice, and we start to tell ourselves, well, either you got it or you don't. But the truth of the matter is, is we can actually do it just as well and maybe sometimes better with the right type of practice. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I am talking about practice. You're talking about practice. There you yeah. go. And, right. and I just think if we um, can get people to understand that you can get a lot better at anything if you're willing to dedicate yourself to deliberate practice. Um, that is always near and dear on my heart. Yeah, I love that. I do not see myself as definitely a special talented person. I was not, Ed, I was not this great athlete as a kid. Trust me. I was never on an all-star team. That may surprise you. You saw oh. me as an adult. Right. After you years have, of practice. You did. Well, yeah. and well. Changing my mindset too is yeah. uh, one thing I learned uh, a script that definitely did not work for me, um, which has helped me a lot as an adult. Is I finally discovered and realized that as a youth, I played not to lose and didn't play to win. Hmm. Um, as an There's adult, fear thing that we talked about an hour ago. It 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 is and. Uh, if I can, you know, playing our, our pickup ball or basketball or whatever Saturday mornings at, 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 at the gym is um, now my high school teammates would probably be shocked if they heard this, but I was a ball hawk. Yes or no? Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything because it's like, well, duh. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> but, but I liked your reasoning behind it. I think that's where you're going. But as a youth, I like rarely ever shot the ball and I was a competent shooter. In fact, yeah. my senior year in, in high school I actually led the league in, but it's kind of a dubious honor. Let me explain. I led the league in field goal percentage. Hmm. It was a dubious honor because I only took the for sure shots. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Michael Jordan and, and Kobe Bryant, they were okay being in the forties. Yeah. And but whether they make it or miss it, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. You know, Gretzky, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Exactly. Keep shooting eventually. Exactly. Because like they're playing to win. Yeah. And as a youth, I play on the so what you saw was now an older Bruce Himes who said to himself, you know what, that 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 story didn't work for me. Interesting. And and it was yeah. very disappointing. And so you know what? Yeah, you're gonna have to pry that ball out of my hands. Yeah. Yep. Because I had to say, you know what, I am the best person on this floor mm -hmm. no one has shot as much as no one knows the game i'm talking about pickleball yeah. no one knows the game like i do yeah no one's as intense as me no one's this doesn't i'm not giving up the ball unless i have to mm -hmm. 
No, to this day, if, there, if, if there's a golf shot that needs to be hit to to save the world in his prime, I want Jack Nicholas taking it. You know, yeah. I mean, t- nothing wrong with Tiger, but Jack says, if I haven't practiced this 10,000 times at a minimum, I'm, I'm not doing my homework, you know, and Malcolm right. Gladwell talks about it in, in Outliers and, and his- And Malcolm are- Gladwell, by the way, not to correct you, he gets that from Andrews, Andrews Erickson. Okay, he- there you go. Very cool. See, and I did not know that. I knew yeah, that I wanted to make that tie. Yeah. Bruce is the guy who I'll quote something. He'll say, well, where that really came from. And, you know, <laughs> Sorry. But, no, no, no. I love it. That's one of the things I love. There's so many things about, it. I love about our friendship and, you know, we go back a long way and I hope that we'll continue to go forward a long ways as well. I know that we will. And, you know, we don't have to be in each other's day to day like we have been when we were in the same church doing similar things, but, you know, we still have similar loves and passions and interests. And um, even when, you know, I, the cool thing about, hopefully all of you have somebody in your life that you know them so well that you know what they would say. Like I think of my dad, I think of Bruce, I think of a handful of people that don't need to be around me. And I know what their advice would be if I asked, because I know how disciplined they are. I know how consistent they are. And I know what their message would be. I mean, I know when I took this job at first bank after leaving another pretty good job, my dad had already passed. And I knew that he was so thrilled with me taking the job that I was leaving but I also knew what his advice to me would be because we had talked for 50 plus years, you know? And so I've been around you enough to know um, in just about any situation in life where you stand, even if I don't ask you. And so that's, that's consistency, that's practice, that's integrity. Um, and those are things that I admire so much. And just the fact that we've laughed and cried together over the years, we've both been through some pretty tough stuff, you know, you a little bit more so probably, but um you know, we have, uh, we've weathered those storms and we'll weather more. So I, I really just, I, I don't have the words to express my love and gratitude for you, my friend. You've, you've always meant the world to me and you always will. So I appreciate you. And I have a couple more questions for you and then we'll finish. Someone wants to reach Bruce Himes. What's the best way? Um, Regardless of why. <laughs> yeah. E- email or text. Um it's not hard to do since we have it uh, plastered on our Western Waterworks website, as long as as well as many of our other people as well. So it's not it's not just me. Um, as you know, I'm I'm very responsive. Yep. Um, I try really hard to be really good at those things that take non-talent because I have non-talent. <laughs> well, things and, that take very minimal time too. Yeah, and uh, um, so uh, yeah, email, text. Probably like everybody else's. I'll is, put those in the notes on this podcast. So you yeah, have to quote is, it is now, the, but I'll, I'll put it in there. Is the best way to uh, get a hold of me. Um, as I mentioned, uh, particularly with young people, um, I'm definitely willing to, to meet and talk with and, and try to help them as, as best as I can. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to go back. <laughs> actually, <laughs> kind of enjoy it took me a while but i actually enjoy being the age that i am but i would go back with one condition if i could take what i know with me yeah exactly if i only that would probably be an unfair fight yeah oh my gosh you kidding me but i don't care Um, that's what i do because uh uh, could have gotten to where we are much faster and uh and sooner and uh, who knows where we'd be but again i guess that's part of the journey and and in the words of John Wooden, I'm, I'm a slow learner, but once I learn something, I start getting along pretty well. 
Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't be where you are today. It's like, it's the reason we don't clip a butterfly out of the cocoon. It has to struggle to get to where it is. And uh, yeah, no you doubt be where that. you are at age, nearly age 60. If, if you knew 30 years ago, what you know now, and you could go back and do it again, you probably would lose a lot of what you have now because you wouldn't have had the life lessons and challenges that you had to get to where you are. So, but yeah, I, I love that. If I only knew then what I know now, I, I yeah. think about that from time to time. All right. So we just spent an hour and a half on this topic and it's everything that comes out in the interview. And I always hesitate, and I always say this at the end of an interview and I always hesitate to even ask the question, but it's, it's sort of my, my brand, if you will, with the last name of heart. Um, I'm just going to ask the question. It'll be how we end the pot end the interview today. All right. Bruce Himes, what's in your heart? Uh, uh, always, uh, my immediate family are four children. Um, and they're all adults and they're all doing well. But uh, one thing is you never stop parenting or at least you never stop worrying as a parent. How's that? Um, so that's always there. Uh, Western Waterworks is always in my heart. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, as you mentioned, Lindsay uh, Snyder with In-N-Out, you know, I, I have never felt like Western Waterworks is mine per se. Uh, I've always felt very much a fiduciary responsibility uh, to the organization. And, and, you know, one way to look at it is Western Waterworks. Uh, without Western Waterworks, I guess I would never have a piece of clothing, a roof over my head or food, since that's where my dad worked most of the time growing up. Uh, he was away from the business for just really two short years, and then back, and then obviously in my adult life, um, it's been the primary uh, provider uh, for for my own family. So, getting uh, getting Western to the uh, next phase, if you will, um, is uh, always on my mind and heart. And then that third thing I've already mentioned a, a number of times. I'm just still very passionate about. Um, uh, no one is born to do any particular thing, but we can build ourselves to be that particular thing. If we're willing to put in the work, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, and this is more for young people. You're going to have to work a hell of a lot harder, longer, and smarter than you can even imagine if you're going to get to where you think your dreams are. Awesome. 